So out of curiosity, seriously, does, that, uh, does anyone actually care about who wins today? How many, how many actual Patriot fans do we have in here? <laughs> They're scattered. You guys are afraid to... Hey, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> there you go. No, we, have a, we have a few. How about, uh, how about actual Rams fans? <laughs> Enthusiastic. West Coast fans, you know, like, yeah, I guess. We'll go for them. You know, it's a little hard when you're from San Diego when it comes to this time of year, isn't it? <laughs> Every year you can just pick who you want to win. It doesn't matter. It can change year to year. <laughs> anyway, well, it's great to have you here. We're going to uh, jump right in. We're going to continue our series this morning. We're in a series called Rhythms, and we're looking at the different rhythms in the Christian life, meaning what are the things that are uh, taught throughout Scripture, modeled by Jesus, taught by Jesus, are are things that, are, that we believe kind of lead towards spiritual growth. And when we mean spiritual growth, we're talking about growth in our belief and who God is and our conviction about who He is and then uh, confidence in who He says we are. So becoming a people that God has made us to be, that, is, that comes after we have a stronger belief in who He is. That's kind of the process of spiritual growth. The bigger God is, the more we can depend and rely on Him and be transformed. So we've been looking at different rhythms. Now, the rhythm we're looking at today is one that if I told you it ahead of time, you may have decided to stay home today. (laughs) This is one of those rhythms that in a moment I'm going to tell you which one it is. And and you might think, oh, seriously, I haven't attended a service in four months and I come back this week? And the rhythm we're looking at today is a rhythm of generosity, Now, as soon as you hear that, some of you probably bristle inside, because when we talk about generosity, sometimes what you think of automatically is what we're going to talk about is it's going to be a 30-minute sermon about giving money to Seacoast, because that's kind of what it often is as far as historically, when you think of it in the context of a church, you think, oh, and, and, and the triggers are sometimes, well... It's a church that's just asking for money out of desperation, trying to keep the lights on. Or sometimes it's churches asking for money, and you look at them and you say, well, the pastor's flying around the country in a jet. Why do I need to give more money here? So we have this response when we hear generosity. But notice, I didn't say we're talking about the giving, the rhythm of giving. And some of you respond that way. You just, you know, belt out and crying. Oh. Now, I didn't say the rhythm of giving. This morning I want to talk about the rhythm of generosity because I don't believe that we need to talk about giving. Now, let's just be honest. I'll say it up front. Seacoast wouldn't exist without the generosity and the financial gifts of its people. That's a reality. I'm not that clueless. That's true. I'm not going to try to bait and switch and say it's about generosity, but what I really want is for you to give more money. The reality is we do need your generous gifts for Seacoast to exist. The reality is some of you participate and you are a part of Seacoast, and that's an area where you don't often participate in. And I would challenge you, if that's you, to consider taking a step towards participating in financial giving towards the church. Some of you, maybe it's just a very small amount, and you would think like, I know, it's just kind of, I could do more. I want to challenge you in that way, because there is a reality that we exist based on your generosity. That's just how it works. That's all I'm going to say about that today, because we all know that's true. It is the way it goes. And we work really hard as a church, by the way, to respect the money you give. 
We work really hard to not be wasteful in it. Uh, we look for ways to uh, maximize each gift that's given. And, uh, and we also try to be generous as a church, giving up to 20% of what you donate. We designate towards outreach, local outreach, global outreach, and things like that. So we want to model generosity as an organization as much as, as individuals. So we want to respectfully use what you give. But today I want to talk about the rhythm of generosity. And it's something that we don't always like to talk about. But it's interesting that Jesus mentions money issues or financial or even just your possessions. He talks about it almost more than any other subject. In fact, he talks about the kingdom of God more, but then in a second place roughly is money and possessions. Almost half of all the parables of Jesus have some sort of tie to how we respond to the stuff we have. And so at the heart of God, if we look through all of Scripture, there's a narrative that God talks a lot about our possessions. Now, it's not always, in fact, often, it's not in the context of giving your money to support the priesthood or to build the temple or to support the synagogues or, in our case, to support the church. The, the passages that deal with this are dealing with our hearts. They're dealing with an attitude. They're dealing with a lifestyle of generosity. So the question that we need to think about is, what is at the heart of Jesus' teachings? Why does he address this so often? And this morning, let me propose to you that a rhythm of generosity that we'll talk about is all about allowing ourselves to be set free and be transformed. It, it's an area of our lives that allow us to then reflect the character and heart of God, a God who is generous to us, a God who stepped into our story and gave up his life for you and for me, who gave up his time, who used to enter into our existence. It's a generous God we serve. That is who he is. And so therefore we are made in his image and called to reflect his glory. So we're going to look at that today. And before we do, let us pray and get started. God, I thank you again for this morning, and I thank you even uh, for the joy of being together. Uh, I thank you for issues like this that sometimes are challenging and tough issues. But Lord, you're not asking us to add more burden on us. Lord, you're asking us to give you our hearts, to allow you to keep shaping and transforming us. So this morning, I pray that you speak to me, you speak to each one of us in here. Lord, you help us grow more and more in our belief in who you are to trust you more. We thank you and give you this time. Amen. So as we start off talking about generosity, as I said, many of us kind of start with this mentality that it's a, we're wrestling between us and God and our stuff. In fact, there's this one old story of a guy who said, yeah, I believe that all my stuff, all my money belongs to God. So he went home and he prayed, God, I trust you with all my money. I believe it's yours. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I trust you so much. I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to throw it in the air. And whatever you want, you just keep and let the rest fall back down to me. Just... So some of us, some of you are thinking like, okay, does that work? <laughs> some of us, we, we, we think, ah, we're, we're wrestling with that. God, we know, we want to trust you. But it's a hard, it's a hard issue. It's something that's not that Easy. So before we talk about it today, one more thing. I want to frame this, give some framework. This message is not just for the wealthy. 
Okay, this is not to say, hey, if you have more money, you need to be more generous. If you have more time, you need to be more generous. If you have a lot of talents, you be generous. And the rest of us will just try to catch up. It's not just for the wealth. This is for all of us. Now, one of the great joys I have is serving here at Seacoast is, is there's a mix of all kinds of different talent levels. There's a, different, a mix of different income levels. And we have at Seacoast some very wealthy people who model generosity so beautifully, so encouraging to me to see that we, we can really see a model of generosity among some of our wealthy people at Seacoast. And it is really a joy. And not just with what they give, but how they open their homes, how they freely help others and step in and give up of their talents. We really are blessed here at this church with that. Now, at the same token, we have some on the other end of spectrum of the income level here at Seacoast who also are very generous with what they have, very generous with their talents and resources and time and can give what they can give. We're very blessed by that too. And so it's, the spectrum is for all of us in here. And we have some great examples at Seacoast. Now, in my lifetime, I also have known some wealthy people who are some of the stingiest, greediest people I've ever seen. Who I look at and I think, How, you have nothing to give? Really? You have nothing to give? And conversely, I've seen some people who are very poor who also were very stingy. And sometimes there's, there's triggers from our past. Did you grow up with security? Did you grow up, you know, not sure where the next paycheck would come from? So we have, it, this is a complicated issue. There's a lot at play. But the framework for this morning is this is for all of us. It's for all God's people. It's at his very heart of who he is. In the book of Leviticus, which I'm sure many of you have been studying through diligently, um, it's one of those books in the Bible, if you ever start your reading plan, as Matt said a few weeks ago, you get to Leviticus and then all of a sudden it just sounds like science fiction to you, right? Like, what is this going on? But in Leviticus in chapter 19, it's talking about hospitality and says, in this heart of generosity, say, be so generous to others that when you see a foreigner or someone who's in need, treat them as if you would treat your own kinsman or someone you're related to. Be so hospitable and generous to take care of the needs of others when you see it. Now, interesting that just five chapters later, also in the book of Leviticus, it's talking to the Israelites and say, also treat your brothers, treat your family with the same hospitality that we're encouraging you to treat the foreigner. In other words, don't just be generous to the people that you think you're supposed to and then ignore everyone else, but saying we want to at the very core of who we are as people of God are generous people. So that's a framework in which we're looking at today. So as we look at a text, I was thinking through where's the best place to go. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And uh, you're welcome to use a digital version if that's your preference, whatever it is. Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6 is, is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a series of teachings by Jesus. And in the middle of it, of chapter 6, there's some really interesting teachings about generosity and about uh, giving to the poor and things like that. But at the core of it, there is a theme that comes throughout Jesus' teaching that we want to uncover here today. And there's a few thoughts that I have for you from this. So Matthew chapter 6, starting off with verse 1. Matthew, or, uh, Jesus starts a new section in his message, and he says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, 
so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they already have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be done in secret. Your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Now he starts off, and you may think that he starts off saying, okay, it's something about rewards and earning rewards from God. But at the heart of what Jesus is saying is there's something more. He's talking about generosity. And the first thing, point that I notice here is generosity, according to Jesus, is a lifestyle. It's not an event. He's saying, don't make it an event like the hypocrites do who give to the poor and they sound this trumpet as if so everyone can see they've done it and honored it. Have you ever thought of that? Doesn't that, that picture t- in your mind kind of, wouldn't that be funny if I'm walking down downtown Encinitas and I see someone who's homeless and I'm like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and buy you lunch. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> Everyone, I am now buying lunch for this man who's hungry. I am doing it with my hard-earned money. I mean, that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. And I hope the crowd who listened to him was just going, that would be ridiculous, Jesus. He's speaking in hyperbole, obviously. But what he's saying is some people make generosity as an event. It's something that they do as to be noticed, to gain favor, to be honored by others. It's not at the core of who they are. That's why then he says, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's not like saying like, wait, what are you doing over here, right hand? He's saying it's such a part of who you are. It's just so embedded in the DNA of people who've been transformed by the generous God that you can give freely and it's not so that you earn favor. It's not so that you earn honor from others. It's not to get a plaque up somewhere. It's because it is your lifestyle, not an event. When you think of this, I want to take it out of just the realm of money, though when we think of generosity, often we just, it's easy to think of money. But think of your time. Think of the gifts that you have in your life, the talents you bring. Would people around you say you're a generous person? Would they say that you give of yourself to others as a lifestyle? What do you think? Would your spouse say, oh, you're so generous to me? And not generous in the sense of, why don't you just go buy something new this week, honey? I love you. But are you generous as a spouse of your time, of your love, of your affection, of your your care for one another? Would your kids say you're a generous person? Would your roommates say you're a generous person? And again, let's take it out of finances only. Your coworkers. I was thinking of uh, my legacy or my uh, my uh, parents and grandparents. And when I think of my two sets of grandparents, both of them were northern Minnesota dairy farmers. And they're not like northern Minnesota dairy farmers when you think of like big farms and and lots of money and big tractors. I'm talking like never make any money, just milk enough cows to get through another day kind of dairy farmers. And I don't know if you've been in northern Minnesota in the winter. Um, You may have seen it on the news lately. This is not a new thing. (laughs) It's not exactly, you know, the most prosperous place to be a farmer. (laughs) But both said to my grandparents, when I think of them, I think of some of the, the most generous people I've ever known. I never once went to their house and felt like they were holding something back from us, of their time, of even just the table would be full of food. And, and it struck me not till I was older, and when I thought of it, in one, one set of my grandparents, I know they never made more than $6,500 a year. That was the most they ever made. Some of us can't imagine that, right? 
But I never went to their house and they never said, you know, we would feed you today, but it's just been tough. Never once mentioned that. But there always was an abundance. There always was an open house, not just for me, but for the neighbors. People would drop in all the time. And it is northern Minnesota, so there always, there's always coffee brewing and a cribbage board. If you're not from the Midwest, you have no, just smile and nod. But basically, they always had room and, and space at their table for others, always. And I think of the funerals that so many people came out because they were known to be generous people. Fortunately, I was raised by two parents who also grew up with that, and they were generous to the point where sometimes I think my parents, they go, you guys are so bad with your money because you're just like, whatever, you're just so free with your stuff, and not always giving money to everyone, but just opening their home, opening their hearts, let you borrow, you want to borrow the truck, you want to, they're just, generosity exudes who they were. Would someone say that about you? Or they look at you and say, oh, I don't know if I would say generous. Jesus says it's not an event, it's a lifestyle. It's interesting too, I was studying this week about generosity and scientists and doctors have found that generosity actually improves your health. It lowers stress levels, it gives you a greater sense of purpose, and it obviously improves your relationships as well. There's one study where all they used was $10. 2,000 people were given $10 and said, you can do whatever you want with it. You can keep it for yourself or you can give it away. You can do whatever you want. Those that gave it away, who were generous with their $10 or shared it with others, actually had a a, a recorded lower levels of stress. And those who kept it from themselves actually had this increased anxiety and stress that was expressed over $10. $10. They're also finding that people who are more generous tend to live longer. It's interesting. There's something embedded in who we are. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, I have this on the screen for you, says this. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet results only in want. There's something at the core of generosity that those who scatter, who are more generous with who they are and their time, that they seem to always still have enough. And maybe it's a mentality, but then there's one who always says, I'm keeping what is justly due. This is mine, my time. That's my motorcycle. That's my truck. Anyone own a truck? Anyone ever ask you to borrow it? Yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) When you have a truck, people always want to borrow your truck. You ever think like, well, no, I, that's, I, I made the payments on that truck. I paid the insurance. You're going to rent it from me? Some say this is justly due. It's mine. And with that attitude, there never seems to be enough. When I was about 12 years old, I was living in St. Louis, Missouri. I moved around a lot as a kid. And uh, in St. Louis, it's in the Midwest, uh, at 12 years old, I had a neighbor who asked me if I would mow his lawn, and he'd pay me to mow the lawn. Now, these are St. Louis, Missouri lawns. These are not California lawns. So when I say mow the lawn, I mean it's like, it's a job. It's a couple hours mowing and trimming. And, and so he asked me to do it. I said, sure, I'll do it. He paid me $20 uh, to, to mow the lawn. Another neighbor saw me mowing the lawn and said, hey, you see you mowing lawns. How much do you charge? And I said, 40 I'll do your lawn for you. And... Um, I don't know, I told them 20 and said, okay, so we'll do it for 20. 
Before long, I lived on a cul-de-sac. We had six houses on the cul-de-sac. I mowed four of the lawns on the cul-de-sac, each for $20 each, and they get, usually would give me an extra five. So I made $25 per lawn, except for one of the houses was the house I lived in, and my dad said, your payment is you get a roof over your head. So that was different. <laughs> so one of them was for free. <laughs> But at 12 years old, you're making $75 a week, basically, mowing lawns. That's a lot of money. I mean, that's, I was rolling in the cash. Some of you are thinking, I would like $75 extra dollars a week. That sounds good. And one thing I learned at about age 12, mowing those lawns and starting to experience this extra income, was one thing about money and how much you get paid that I realized is that if someone said, how much do you want to make? The answer is always more. <laughs> I learned from a really early age, when, when you're 12, what are you going to do with $75 a week? Seriously, I didn't have anything to do with that money, but it was good. But I know, oh, just a little bit more. So I started thinking, what if I hire my friends to mow these lawns? I pay them 10 bucks. <laughs> they can get the $5 tip. I have an administration fee. You know, there's accounting to do and stuff. And thinking, how can I make more money off this? Because the point is, I could li- use a little bit more. People who are generous, you may have more. You may be blessed with more. But money can grab at our hearts in a hurry, can't it? Your time can grab at your heart in a hurry. Say, ah, I don't have any time to give. I don't, I don't, I'm not free to be generous with that. It's tough stuff. So Jesus calls out and says, generosity is a lifestyle, not an event. Now, we're going to skip a few verses because then he goes into prayer, which I think is essential to all this because it's orienting our lives under who God is. So he teaches us how to pray, what to ask for. We, th- we talked about that a few weeks ago. And then I'll jump all the way down to verse 19. He's still in this talking about, it's, it's about your generosity, praying, understanding who God is. He's the provider of all things. There's a way to respond to him. Now, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where no thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this before. Maybe you could say, okay, I get it. Invest in eternal things, and, and that is the point, what Jesus is saying. Yeah, it's not just about what happens today. In fact, I believe from this passage we learn that generosity affects today and the yet to come. It's more than just life today, but it's also the world to come or what's down the road. So many of us have heard this and say, okay, store up treasures in heaven. I don't know about you, but I don't often get motivated thinking about treasures in heaven. I just, it's me personally. I missed that class in seminary or something or whatever it was. But when I think of what, you know, my thought is, well, what treasure am I storing up in heaven? (laughs) Like, what's up there? So that doesn't motivate me. It's not something I'm seeking for. Motivating me is responding to God. That's what I'm trying to be. But I want to show you something a little different about this. Jesus continues the thought And I believe the thought he continues is still talking about, it's not just about now, but it's something deeper. So here's how he clarifies verse 19 through 21. He says, okay, so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye, verse 22, the eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great the darkness. See, he clarified. <laughs> Do you ever read that and say, okay, how is that connected? How is this a connected thought? What is going on, Jesus? Okay, where the, my treasure is there, my heart will be. So if the eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Thank you. This is actually a Hebrew idiom. In the Hebrew world, they often thought of the eye was essentially, think of it as like a window to the inner workings of who you are. And in Hebrew, at the time of Christ, and we have in some of the rabbis' writings in the first century on, they talk about if you have a clear eye, it actually meant you are generous. If you had a cloudy eye, it meant you were stingy. So synonymous with clear eye is generous, and synonymous with cloudy eye or a dark eye is being a stingy person. So Jesus is talking about our hearts. He's talking about it's not just about now, but it's the yet to come. And he says, so I want you to know that if you're someone with a clear eye, if you are a generous person, the light within you, you have this life of Christ, there's something actually at work. A a generous person, we can see the life of God actually at work in them. And it's not just for your life now. As opposed to, if you are stingy, how great is the darkness in you? You're missing out on a whole other world. It's not just about the world you're looking at right here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, says this. Paul is writing, He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but fix them on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up from themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. We're thinking of this life, having a generous, a clear eye, is about more than just this world. It's the one to come. It's the essence of who we are and our connection with God. You know, often you've probably heard the phrase, it used to be, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? And then I saw it change to, he who dies with the most toys Still dies. I uh, heard, read a story this week about a guy who he wanted to take what he had when he, into when he died. And so he stored up, had his habit of storing all his cash in his mattress at home. And by the time he died, he had about 100000 or more dollars of cash in his mattress. And he told his wife, hey, if I die before you, what I want you to do, this is my wish for you to do for me, is to take all my cash and I want you to... I, I, t- so to take the, the money, all this money that I've raised up or saved over the years, I want you to take my money and put it in my casket with me when I'm buried. So his wife heard that and she said, okay. Sure enough, he dies before she died. So what did she do? She took all that cash. She deposited it in her bank account and wrote him a check and put it in the casket. <laughs> Those of you who don't use checks, okay, 30 and under crowd, Google it, you'll see how that's funny. (laughs) See, the point is, what we do here on earth, that we can't take the physical things. We can't take the time back. 
that generosity is not just about today, but it's about the yet to come. I was reading about Rockefeller. At the time, he was known as the wealthiest man alive for the most part. His whole life up to age 53 was known to be very selfish, very greedy. Some would say he had a, not a clear eye. Made a lot of money. It was all about himself, but he was in terrible health. In fact, at age 53, he was on his deathbed. They were expecting him to die at any moment. And at that point, he had a revelation that he was about to die and all his wealth was, going, was not going with him. So he decided to open up a foundation and start investing in healthcare and education and taking care of the poor. He changed his mentality on his deathbed and said, I want to at least give my money away as I die to help others, to be a generous person. He ended up living another 40 years. And he lived 40 years being a generous person. It's amazing what that can do, how things can change. So Jesus says it's not just about today, but it's about tomorrow. And then he goes on in verse 24, says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both, both God and wealth. So now Jesus is starting to talk, get a little more personal, and talk about, listen, do you, does your money serve you, or do you serve your money? Is it a part of just who you are? Is it what we use to sustain our existence and to be a part of who we are? Or is your whole point the money, the stuff, the fame, the selfishness? Is that what is, what, how does it work? You can't serve both. But now look, verse 25, I, I, this week, the more I studied this, the more I became frustrated that in my Bible, it starts a new section. Many of yours, it, it may start a new section. I don't believe that should start a new section. I believe it's part of the same thought. Because the Greek word here is actually therefore or because of this. So because we can't serve both God and wealth, the very next thing Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or drink, nor do your body as what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes into a whole series of teaching about eliminating worry about the day-to-day. Now he never says, be irresponsible, be a bad employee, just sit around and hope someone will feed you. But he says, don't let money be so much of your master that you're stressed and, and it's just taking life from you. But generosity helps us learn to trust God. The rest of that parable, the rest of this section, is all about learning to trust God. It's all about seeing that there's something more at play here. So generosity teaches us to trust. Now, I know for some of you, this is a difficult, difficult subject. It's hard for you to trust. Maybe because your circumstances right now, you think, I don't know where the next meal will come from. I've been there. My family's been there. I, fortunately, also for me, just growing up the way I did and, and marrying my wife, Sarah, she, we both have just always had a mentality where this has been a little bit easier for us. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's just been an easier issue for us for some reason. Yet we've been able to be a little more free and generous with our money. We've always given to our church. We've always supported causes around us. It's just something that has been a part of who we are. And I know for us that for some reason it's easy. Some of you, that's not as easy. 
But I can say honestly that even in the times when we were wondering, where will, the, will this check come in on time? In the times when we think, oh, we're sitting pretty comfortably. That God has given us the freedom to, tr- to increase in our trust in who he is. And again, let's take it out of the side of money. Are you a generous person with your time? Are you generous with the gifts you have? Can you trust that when we step out in faith, that God can use that? That he can return that time to you? That he can multiply it in his own way? I don't know what that always looks like. And for some of you today, you're being challenged to at least just take one step towards a clearer eye. One step to becoming a person who's generous. And again, this is not law that we want to pour on you and say, do this because if you don't, God's not happy with you. But to say, look what God has done for us. Look who he's made us to be. He has set us free to be the most loving, most generous, hospitable people on the planet. And the beauty is, without Christians in this planet, it would not be as good of a place as it is. The generosity of Christians through the centuries has radically transformed this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, each, must, each of you must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to grudgingly serve him. He doesn't want us to grudgingly be generous. He doesn't want to say, sure, God, if that's what you want, I guess I'll do it. He loves a cheerful giver. And some of you, it, like I said, you're gonna, that cheer is going to have to start very small steps. That's okay. He's a gracious, gentle God. But notice how Paul writes this. You will grow, God is able to make all grace abound to you. It doesn't say he's going to then fill up your checkbook again. He might, but he might not. I'm convinced some of you are wealthy because you're very responsible with your money and God thinks that you should have more money because you're better with it than the rest of us. And I I think that just makes sense to me. But the grace will abound to you no matter what level of generosity you have. But what does grace look like? We learn to trust more and more in the character of who God is. We get to see that Jesus, actually, we can depend on you. Jesus, actually, you are who you say you are. Jesus, my life is actually in your hands. And each step, we see that grace abounds to us more and more. And there's always sufficiency in everything. We have abundance for every good deed. We can learn to trust God in all of this. It's already supplied. There's a story that a guy named Tony Campolo, about Tony Campolo, if you've heard about him, he was kind of a preacher back in the day, and uh, uh, still around, I think, so, but always very radical in his thoughts. He was teaching at a women's conference one weekend, and there's about 4,000 or a couple thousand people at the conference, getting it mixed up, was, they needed $4,000, there's a couple hundred people at the conference, and a need popped up, and they were asking for $4,000, they said, hey, there's, there's this really serious need that just popped up. We just need $4,000. And they brought that to the attention of Tony Campolo. And he said, well, what are you worried about? I believe that God will supply what he needs. He's already supplied it. They said, what do you mean he's already supplied it? We need $4,000. 
He said, I know, but I believe God has already supplied it. I tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach in my pocket. I'm going to take all the cash out of my pocket and put it on the table right now. But if I do that, I want you to do that too. And the leadership was talking with them. They said, oh, all right, we'll do it. So he reaches in his pocket. And he says, you need 4000 He lays down $15. So that's all I got. All the rest of the leaders put down their money. They had a couple hundred dollars sitting there. And he said, I, I, I believe God has already supplied what is needed. So they went to the rest of the conference, a couple hundred people, and said, we want this the need. We need 4000 Just reach in your pocket and take whatever money you have, and if you'd be willing, and let's give it joyfully. And they all did, and it turned out to be just over $4,000 cash. See, I, and this is recorded as a true story, but the point isn't that God did something magical. It's that God has already supplied what is needed. It just, in that case, was already in their pockets. In a couple weeks from now, we're doing a thing as a church called Community Serve Day where we're going to take our Sunday off and we're going to serve and bless our community. In fact, I have one of the new shirts for it on right now. So our new, sorry, we got rid of lime green. But you can still wear your lime green if you're a springtime. Um, anyway, so thanks. The Community Serve Day is a, way, a day for us to love and bless our community. And you know what? God has already supplied everything we need to serve and bless Encinitas that day. He already has. It's there. It's just right now what he has supplied is sitting in these seats. Will we be people who are generous to say, we'll step out. We'll be a part of that. We'll participate. Let's be known as people who, because God is so generous to us, because Jesus has given us his very life, that we are free to be transformed and set free to be people with a rhythm of generosity, whatever that looks like for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I even thank you for these challenging words, Lord, that aren't always easy for me. Sometimes it's, it feels easier just to give money, but when someone wants some of my stuff that I've already earned, Lord, that's a lot harder. And so I pray that you continue to transform my life. Lord, that I may be changed by the generosity that you have given to me. And Lord, may we as a community of people reflect your character to this world. May we unite it Show the world that there is a God who pours out everything for them so that more may know you. Lord, so we ask now that you would transform our hearts, transform this space. Help us grow in our belief in who you are and what you say is true of us. So we thank you and we give you this time now.